Grace, mercy, and the peace of God be and abide with us all as we continue to endeavor to be the disciples that Jesus calls us to be. Disciples follow Jesus, so where does he lead? Where is he going? In the life of Jesus, he is going to the cross. Throughout his ministry, he is, he is moving that direction. Here in Matthew chapter 10, we're, we're reaching toward the end of what's called the missionary discourse. This is um, Jesus not just leading, but sending the 12 on their internship missionary journey. There's still a lot of Matthew left. So Jesus has instructed them. The Sermon on the Mount is in um, Matthew chapter 5. And so there's, you know, we're a few chapters later than that. And so uh, Jesus has taught them, but there's, there's still more to teach. There's still more to do. But they're sent on this preliminary kind of internship journey with some instructions. And this text in Matthew 10, beginning in verse 34, began with what might seem like a contradiction. Maybe surprising. Verse 34 says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. That strike you as strange for Jesus to say? I mean, that seems odd, right? Because, because we know this. Jesus brings peace. That's what his life was about. That's what his the incarnation, that's what Jesus, the Son of God becoming flesh, that's, that was the purpose, right? We have peace with God through Jesus. We know that. It's assured to us in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through Jesus. We're justified by faith. Grace saves us. Our sins are not counted against us. That is the message of the gospel. And that message was announced when Jesus was born. The, the message of the angels, the song that they sang, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom Jesus is pleased. Or sorry, with whom those God is pleased. That's in Luke chapter 4, or sorry, 2. Luke chapter 2, verse 14. So we see from his birth that Jesus is bringing peace. And through his death, we receive that peace. Colossians chapter 1 puts it this way. Through him, that is Jesus, through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether, on heaven, whether in heaven uh, or on earth, making peace by the blood of the cross. We have peace. Through Jesus, by Jesus through his death, and because of his resurrection. The first words Jesus speaks after the resurrection, as recorded in John chapter 20, he appears to his disciples. And the first words that he says, they're locked in the upper room, and he just shows up. John chapter 20 has that whole scene. And he says, peace be with you. He says it twice. So the idea that Jesus isn't bringing peace well, isn't quite accurate. Not that I'm arguing with Jesus. We'll get back to that in just a moment. Forgiveness brings peace. Faith leads us to peace. We may feel unsettled. 
Have you felt unsettled lately? There's a lot going on. We're sheltering in place. We're not gathering for worship. We're going out in public wearing masks. We're restricted where we can go, what we can do, in a lot of ways, who we can see and how we spend our time. And it's unsettling at best. It's, it's creating this whole like, mental health problem, and I think uh, we're yet to really see the full effect of it. Like, how are we doing? I was reading about, um, they're getting ready to start the, restart the NBA season. And so they're going to gather players from like 22 of the 30 teams, and they're going to all be in Orlando, like within the Disney World Resort. And I guess they have some courts there. I don't know how this is going to work. but um, So they're going to play some games and then go into the postseason. Right now, you know, I think it should be over with. And so they're going to try to do this, but I saw a headline go by that talked about how this is going to work because these players are going to all be in this bubble is what they're calling it. Like they won't go out. They won't see anyone else. The players inside the bubble won't interact with anyone outside the bubble. I mean, it's not like a literal bubble, right? But it's like we can spend time just with us, and if no one comes in and we know no one has the virus within the within this scope of people who are admitted to this area, then we should all be safe. But the article talked about the mental health of the players. How's your mental health? How, how are you feeling? And, and this whole shelter in place and virus, you know, the worry that we have, the concern that we might have, uh, if that were not enough, there's, you know, the unsettling of our, of our culture, of our society over the last month. It's been difficult, and we've struggled, and, and there's been turmoil, not just external within you know, cities and, and, and people demonstrating and protesting and all the things that happen relative to that, but even internally, many people are struggling with, am I, am I part of the problem? What can I do differently? And so there's that. And then there's other things that make us feel unsettled or uneasy or stressed or guilty or angry or anxious, but faith in Jesus is a source of peace. Like no matter what happens with, with the coronavirus and with COVID-19, if I get that disease, I am not, well, I'm not worried for me. I'm concerned for my family more than myself. I'm concerned with things that would be left undone if something were to happen to me, but I would have peace in myself because I know in whom I believe. And it's Jesus, and he brings peace. As a disciple, that peace is mine to share because his disciples share peace with others. Elsewhere in this chapter, if we look in Matthew chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus is telling them, as the twelve go out to proclaim that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven brings peace. This is where God is. This is where God dwells. And in Jesus, the kingdom of heaven has come. That's a peaceful thing. Then he goes on in verse 13 to tell the disciples, if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. The book of Matthew doesn't talk about peace more than just a few times. And here are a 
couple of them. The peace that the disciples can share, and Jesus saying that he has not come to bring peace? How does that work? See, the mission of the church is to bring the gospel of Jesus, to announce the hope that we have, to share the grace that we've received, to bless people. The disciples are told to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons, to bring peace. That brings peace. When our problems are solved, (laughs) we have peace. I mean, think of a time when you felt very peaceful. And maybe there's a certain setting that you can imagine. A a place that you felt just this peace wash over you. Maybe you're next to some still water or some trees. Maybe the air is kind of cool and the sun is shining and you felt peaceful. But in that moment, I I would venture to guess that you didn't have a lot of stress or burden weighing you down. You weren't dealing with some kind of problem or issue that was a burden, that was a problem. So when the disciples are to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to cast out demons, that's, that's solving people's problems. That's helping them through their difficulties. So the mission of the church is to bring the life-giving gospel to people around them, to people around us, to share grace and the forgiveness of sin. But in this life, in this world, our peace is incomplete. Back to verse 34 again. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. Dr. Jeffrey Gibbs has a commentary that I have um, for the book of Matthew. And I looked it up because I was wondering, how could Jesus possibly mean this? And he suggests that it can be translated in in a legitimate way that Jesus isn't saying, I have not come to do this, but this, but to say, these are, are, this is not an exclusive thing that Jesus has come to do. It, It translates it something similar to this. Do not think I have only come to bring peace. I have not only come to bring peace, but also a sword. That makes more sense, right? So Jesus is bringing peace, but that peace isn't isn't complete yet. Because following Jesus can be complicated. Let me just go into the next couple verses. In verses 35 and 36, this is what he says. I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemy uh, enemies will be those of his own household. Whoa. Jesus is promoting dysfunctional families now. Not really, actually. It's a near quote of Micah chapter 7, verse 6. That verse says this, For the son treats his father with contempt, the daughter rises up against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own house. Jesus is merely saying that, that this, is, this is fulfilled in him. And he's not saying that he is coming to drive a wedge between people in their families and to separate people or that people would, would be uh, contemptuous in their, in their family relationships because of Jesus. But what he's saying is this, that priorities are changed and challenged by a relationship with Jesus. Family's still important. 
but it's not more important than faith. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods, is the most important one. And so Jesus is suggesting this, that faith in him, faith in God, that a relationship with God is more important than the most valuable things that we have. What's more valuable than family? What relationship is more important than, than parents to children, than husbands and wives, than, than the family unit? It's, it's the foundation of cultures, structures. It's important, but it's not more important than faith, than our relationship with God. See, sometimes things get in the way of our relationship with God. Sometimes it's a priority that we set. It can be our work, our dreams, our goals, our desires, our hopes for this life, even our relationships. I'm grateful that among our family, for Paula and me, we share a faith. It's actually how we met why we know each other, why we met back in 1991, because we shared a common faith and a common desire to share that faith through music. And I'm grateful for that, that that's the foundation of our relationship. And I'm grateful that our parents are faithful people. They're believers in Jesus. And I'm grateful that our siblings are believers in Jesus and that our kids have learned to be believers in Jesus. We don't have that burden, that problem that I know exists because I know people who have had to make a hard choice. Keep faith as a priority even in a family that's complicated and difficult. It can be hard to be a disciple, to set our priorities well, to spend our time well, to spend our resources well, because the world is still broken. The world promotes values that aren't compatible with our faith. And persecution happens. If we just back up in Matthew chapter 10, just a few verses before this reading, we'll see that Jesus is preparing his his disciples for persecution, for hardship, and that's everywhere, for suffering, and that's universal. We all suffer. We all deal with hardship. We may face persecution. So do we have peace? can we do that peace is found in jesus in a broken world you find peace when you take up your cross this is actually the first mention of the word cross in the book of matthew which i found interesting you know thus far jesus disciples have not heard that word i mean sure they've heard the word right they know what a cross is But Jesus hasn't talked about it yet. There's multiple times in the Gospels where Jesus makes what we call a passion prediction. Where he tells his disciples that he is going to Jerusalem. He's going to be handed over to to Gentiles, to sinful men, to um, the scribes and Pharisees. and, and, And these various predictions always lead to his death. He'll, he says things like, the Son of Man will be killed, and on the third day, rise again. 
he's always going toward the cross. He has this mission in mind. That's what he is doing. But in Matthew, this is the first mention of it. Take up your cross. The cross adorns our sanctuary. It's right here. It's twice on the, well, three times on the pyramids with the one in the center. Maybe you have a cross necklace on today, or you own one. Many people do. The, co- the cross is something that, that for disciples of Jesus, here and now, brings comfort. Right? But every disciple who was hearing Jesus say this, and every person in the crowds that would gather around him would be familiar with the cross in a different way compared to our perspective. For them, the cross is an instrument of death. And that's the perspective we have to keep in this, in this text. The cross is an instrument of death. Jesus carried his cross, and he hung on that cross for your life and mine. He gave his life for us to bring us mercy. He shed his blood for you, for me. The cross is an instrument of, of death. It brings us comfort now, but Jesus paid the price for our sin on the cross. So what is he saying? Following Jesus comes with a cost. We don't pay the price for our sin. That's not what Jesus is saying, that he did most of it, and now we have to take up our cross and finish the job. No, it is finished. He said it. He meant it. So what does he mean by take up your cross? We do pay a price. There are challenges. Persecution is possible. And in, for most of us, 21st century North America, our cost is pretty minimal. Compared to the, the apostle, the 12, you now we can separate Judas from this group for a moment. But for the rest of them, most, except for John, were martyred. Literally killed for their faith. And for many people in, in the first century, as Christianity began to grow and spread, the Romans persecuted the Christians. And, and the, those powerful people within Judaism didn't want to see this movement grow, and so they had their own persecution. And even, even the one who became Paul was Saul ahead of that and was chasing down people who were confessing the faith in order to stone them. There was lots of persecution in the first century. That didn't make people right with God. That was just this broken, complicated world coming to get people. The price that we pay in our time is minimal compared to that and minimal compared to people in other parts of the world where confessing Jesus might cost them their lives. People in the Middle East, even now, even today, can be killed for confessing Jesus. I don't have that fear, that concern that that could bring. I'm not worried that even when we can gather and the doors are wide open on a Sunday morning, someone might come through them. It has happened, even in this country, where we are free to gather. Right now, we're not free to gather physically. 
But that's not suggesting that our faith is illegal. Jesus also doesn't mean regular hardship or suffering that, that we might engage in. And it's, it's well meant when it's said, and I, and I know that this has been said. I may have even said it myself in the past that you know, someone is, is suffering something, some burden, some hardship, and, and a well-meaning friend might say, well, we all have our cross to bear. That's still not what Jesus means. What Jesus means is this, find your life by losing it. Find your life by losing it. He even says this in verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a paradox in our faith. In order to live, we die. The whole of the Christian faith is about death and resurrection. The death of Jesus and his resurrection, which to us gives us grace and mercy and forgiveness of our sin, a guarantee of life in his presence forever, but then also our death. Not in a literal physical sense, but through the cross of Jesus, we die. We die to the world. We die to self, we die to desire, we die to sin. Romans chapter 7. This was our first reading for today. In verse 6 it says, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law. By dying. Galatians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul has this same idea. We are crucified with Christ. I wasn't there. I didn't hang on the cross with him. But I was crucified with Christ. And he goes on to say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This is what Jesus is talking about. That we would be crucified with Christ. That we would die to our desires and passions. And that by the power of the Spirit, we would be resurrected, brought to new life, transformed by this life-giving gospel, brought from death to life, and find life in Jesus. Everlasting life in Christ is ours. Our reward is guaranteed. We are crucified with Christ, so now he lives. So live life in Jesus, at peace, by grace. Jesus came to bring peace. We find that peace through the cross. Thanks be to God that he gives us this gift. Amen.